Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Calder with John Harlow here tonight. We're talking all things racing. Aren't you sick of the political talk? I know, me too. And we're talking NASCAR, 100% NASCAR racing tonight. If you want to join the show, it's 917-889-8280 to join the conversation. We're talking about some interesting stuff here. We've got the chartering system, a little an article this week, uh, last week about how the Wood Brothers can help make a bigger season for Go Fast Racing next season. We'll explain that a little bit. Starcom Racing, a new team announced their align, uh, their formation this week, then withdrew from Dover. But we'll talk a little bit about how if, if that's the only way to sort of venture into this sport. Um, plus, a very interesting article on motorsport.com and Lee Spencer today about Brad Kozlowski and Toyota. Chad Knaus chimed in as well, gave his thoughts on, on the why Toyota has so much don, dominance and we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking Circles. But first, John, also uh, news this week out of NASCAR. It was, a, it was kind of a, for news, it was kind of a, a, a slow week for news. But there was a little bit of news out of the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And JGL Racing announced that they have suspended driver duties effective immediately with driver Dakota Armstrong. Armstrong has piloted number 28 entry in the NASCAR Xfinity Series for most, for all the 2017 season. Uh, but due to lack of sponsorship payments, JGL Racing has been forced to make a drastic decision and move on for the rest of 2017. James Whitner also was quoted in the article uh, that they wish and appreciate, they appreciate all the effort that Dakota put into the team and wish him nothing but the best moving forward. Um, Dakota Armstrong brought sponsorship there from Winfield. Um, kind of an interesting thing that this happens right around chase time and not with a little bit more less in the year. Uh, you know, you have to wonder if there were some incentives there for the sponsorship where they said, if we don't make the chase, then we don't have to pay a certain amount of money. It'd be interesting to see if there's a lawsuit or something like that out of this. But Armstrong's been there a couple of years. JGL, not a, a powerhouse team. They're a little bit better. They got Joe Gibbs racing engines underneath them. Uh, what are your thoughts on Dakota Armstrong and JGL racing splitting up here? Um, it's getting to the point now where you buy your rides and if you're the person you're bringing to the table, uh, you got to make sure they are legit. I mean, you're seeing some of these companies come in. It's like whenever Stuart Haas went to nature's bakery and everybody's like, how in the heck can they afford a cup series car? We found out they could. And then JGL has Dakota Armstrong bring sponsorship to the car. If everything was the way it would have been and should have been with Dakota Armstrong, he would have still been driving for Richard Petty Motorsports with their Xfinity car, whatever they had it. I mean, the money must not have been coming in locked, stock, and barrel there, or Richard Petty Motorsports wouldn't have disbanded the Xfinity team. If they had the sponsorship to make it worthwhile, they would have done it because that way they could have kept working on new crew members, uh, bringing them up through the ranks, different things like that. I think it's to the point where NASCAR is getting really um, in trouble with where sponsorship is. I just went looking through the uh, 
Jayski 2018 uh, team page, and there are so many that don't have full season sponsorships that it's just amazing. And with, I mean, you, it's even worse in the Xfinity series. I mean, everybody's trying to get one race off sponsors and that's how it is a lot of the time. I mean, they're getting whatever they can. And sometimes they're like, I mean, you look at Jeremy Clements, he's in the uh, playoffs and his sponsor basically said, okay, we'll pay for whatever tires you need since we're in the playoffs and everything. It's not like they're doing short sets of tires or everything. They're trying to do the best they can with it. The sponsorship's drying up folks. And monster I don't think they're locked in to say this is I don't think they've seen a big profit or a big growth out of this thing so it's a mess it's one way or the other yeah it's interesting because Michael McDowell was on Sirius XM radio last week he brought up an interesting point about the Xfinity series and you know when you think about the lower divisions of NASCAR you think well you know they don't it doesn't cost as much to fund this to run the team so it you know, a ride buyer really isn't that big of a deal. But the cost of running an Xfinity Series team is still pretty significant, and they don't get nearly the amount of money that Cup does as far as purse is concerned. So they rely heavily on sponsorship. And if you could bring in sponsorship money, you got, you're got you in pretty good shape, and McDowell explained that perfectly. Um, and so when these sponsorships dry up, it's not like, well, we can hang out with Dakota Armstrong for a little bit here and keep this funding going. No, once your sponsorship's gone, they got to move on to other, other places. They got to shut their teams down. They got to figure out a way to get some more sponsorship in there. I like JGL racing. I think they do a good job. I like their young guns program. They, they had Jeff Burton there this year with a couple of races with um, state water heaters. They do cool with a joy a lot. They do uh, Dylan Lupton. And uh, I, I know they had Drew Herring in the car in years past, but I like this team. I think they try and give these young, talented kids some shots. Uh, and if they have to have one car that, that funds that, you know, that's, that's the case. But I think we're, Dakota Armstrong, we're not going to see the end of them. I think this was something that, you know, I, if I remember last year, they, they missed a race or two, too, with Winfield and Dakota Armstrong uh, with this, or, or there was talk about them leaving early before the season ending. And, you know, Armstrong's a guy who hasn't had a lot of success. He had, he's had three top tens this year and two top fives. Uh, one top five last year, 13th in points last year, missed the chase as well, missed the chase this year. But again, JGL isn't a great team. They're, they're a team that's still building. Um, but I like this team, and I hope the best for them, and I hope they can find a driver that can bring some sponsorship there next year. Uh, I, I, I agree. I, I think JGL is doing the right thing. They're trying to make it a feeder series. They're trying to give young talent a chance to go. Uh, with the, in reference to Dakota Armstrong, I mean, he's never done anything to impress anybody. Um, he's never really performed that well and continues to stay in the series. It's, it's sad that you can't afford. I mean, again, it's one of those things and you hear, you've heard Moody say about it that, uh, well, uh, nobody ever gets the purse to be able to do what they need to do. You have to have the sponsorship to drive it. Well, you gotta be able to have something to make up the difference, especially whenever you see the sponsorship drying out across all three series. And there are very few full-funded cars. In the Xfinity Series, everybody's scraping together to be able to survive. And the purses suck. If you, I mean, they don't even put them out anymore, which is how bad it was. But if you look at it, it used to be where it was like whoever was 25th place in the Xfinity Series maybe got 10 grand. I don't really know if that puts the hotels 
flies the crew down. I mean, if you're renting a crew from somebody else, pays the engine bill or the tire bill for what they make for 25th place. So if you don't have a sponsor, you better have somebody deep pockets owners. And if somebody has deep pockets as an owner, they're not going to play in the Xfinity series. They're going to play in the cup series. Right. It makes, it's funny because I was talking to somebody who calls this show a lot, a caller that calls this show a lot over the weekend. And we were talking about this situation with JGL racing and said, man, if I'm JGL racing, why run two Xfinity series cars when I can buy what's left of BK Racing, 83 team, go with Corey LeJoy and say, hey, listen, Corey, we're going to try and make with Cup and run without a charter. You probably make us more, more money. The sponsors will be more willing to sponsor you because you're in front of more eyeballs in the, in the Cup Series than you are in the Xfinity Series. And, yeah, you're not going to run good, but you could slowly build your team up. Um, in the Xfinity Series, you know, you're, you're still running against the same teams you know, you're still running against the Joe Gibbs of the world, the Jack Rashes of the world, the Hendrick slash Junior Motorsports of the world. You know, Richard Childress had five teams this year. So you're still running against those big-time teams. So why not go to the Cup Series and do the same thing you're doing in Xfinity, except run a little bit worse. You make more money. Um, and I think we might see that with a couple of teams. I think that's why you're starting to see these teams, uh, you know, like Carl Longs of the world, get into the Cup Series because they realize that – there's not a lot of competition to knock them out of the field. And the purse is much better than what they get in the Xfinity series. Well, that's one of the things, I mean, we both, whenever uh, the rumors of GMS racing going to cup with Spencer Gallagher and possibly a second team, um, they're running great in the truck series with um, Johnny Sauter in the playoffs, but they're not, Spencer Gallagher is not lighting the world up on the Xfinity series, but if he goes and runs cup, even with a non-chartered team, he's going to make more finishing 35th, 37th. If he goes and starts in parks, he'll make more than he would driving 20th, 25th in the Xfinity Series. It just makes more sense. I mean, they're killing themselves with these with the feeder series because there's no money there to support the teams that have to bring them up. And Absolutely. whenever you do have the teams that come from the cup side down and they put Kyle Busch in there, they put Brad Keselowski in there, they put Joey Logano in there, they put the Dillon boys or Harvick hops into a Stuart Haas car. The big money's going to the drivers from the cup series and the little guys in the Xfinity series don't have the chance to grow their teams. It just is not a smart way to do business. And I think it's an interesting way to look at it too, as far as what the Xfinity series is right now. Um, I've always said my problem with the Xfinity series is it sort of lacked some identity. You know, when I was a kid growing up, the Xfinity series had an identity. They had their own cast of drivers and yeah, the cup guys would come down occasionally and, and play with them and, and usually beat them. But for the most part, they ran on different racetracks with different race cars, with different rate, with different drivers and teams. And it had its own identity that way. Sort of like what we see with the truck series now. It doesn't have that anymore. Uh, and it's sort of caught between a series of development and a series of, um, you know, cup guys coming down and just making all the money and stealing all the wins. So it's sort of an identity crisis here for the Xfinity series. And I think that really, really hurts this series. Um, and if they don't fix that, you know, and I think they're, we're seeing the, the cup guys obviously, uh, you know, be limited in, in the Xfinity series. I think, we'll see that a little bit more and hopefully 
I think the only way to fix that is to go to different racetracks. I don't think we're going to see that because of uh, ISC and SMI, but hopefully one day we'll be able to see that. But uh, I think getting the cup guys, limiting them is a good thing. I think it is, but also when you look at how it is, I wouldn't even worry about the cup drivers. It's the cup teams. And yeah, Joe Gibbs uses the Xfinity series is a chance for crew chiefs to get their feet wet before they move up to the cup series. I mean, you look at all four guys in Joe Gibbs racing as crew chiefs, they've all been at the Xfinity series at some point. And that's good for them. You look at Dale jr's team and they're uh, the ones who are pretty close to leading the way when it comes to how the Xfinity series is running this year, all four cars that junior has, Sponsorship comes with the driver. Elliot Sandler brings one main financial. William Byron brought Liberty. Um, Michael Annette brought um, Pilot Flying J, and Justin Allgaier brought Brandt. I mean, every one of those cars, the driver brought the sponsorship to them. And it's basically a cup-like team. I mean, it's technically junior motorsports, but they've bounced people back and forth between junior motorsports and Hendrick Motorsports. So there's no chance for anybody to create a team and work themselves up. I mean, it's tougher and heck for a driver to come in who, I mean, we've, we've talked about it many times about young drivers who we think have a chance of being something in this sport. We talked about the Brandon McReynolds. I mean, I'm so appreciative of the way Corey LaJoy keeps fighting to keep himself relevant and keep himself doing something. And he's been respectable. He runs Xfinity. He's been respectable in the BK racing cars as bad as that operation is. But you don't see them getting a chance at a decent-sized team. I mean, heck, look at Ryan Priest. He ran a full season last year, didn't do much of anything, ran three races for Gibbs, and the worst he finished was fourth. And he probably still doesn't arrive for next season, which is another story into itself. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. It, it's, it's just an interesting state the Xfinity Series is in. I think JGL Racing is experiencing that right now. Uh, I think a lot of teams are experiencing that right now. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to that series in the next five years. 9178982 here talking circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow. Uh, an interesting article today from motorsport.com, John, uh, from Lee Spencer about Brad Keselowski's comments on Toyota. Now, a lot of people have said the way I took Brad Keselowski's comments is the way uh, – this article was written, and I this is how I understood it. And I think a lot of people thought Brad suggested that NASCAR had let Toyota get uh, an unfair or a, you know, an, a, basically illegal race car. So I think Toyota is totally legal. Um, but they've come out, and, they've been, and Chad Knauss kind of reiterated that, you know, the manufacturers, they've built fast race cars now. Manufacturers are in control. And Kozlowski said – after the race on Sunday at New Hampshire, I felt like we were where we needed to be to win a race and run up front with the pit crew and setup. Just kind of a lack of aero and stuff to keep up. But this is a track that doesn't have aerodynamics. And I felt it helped us run a little better this week. The execution was as good as you can get. A little bit of luck helps. And, of course, you want to be a faster race car. That's not the scenario with the rules the way they are now. So we've got to make the most of it and catch, hope to catch a few breaks and make sure we do our part. Chad Canal said, and this is on Fox Sports 1, uh, all the manufacturers have had the opportunity to work within the confines that NASCAR has put out there 
from a downforce standpoint. Now, that being said, the Toyota teams have exploited this to the next level. I think they've actually started to show up with that around May 2015 in Charlotte. We're really starting to see some performances out of the 19 at that point and some of the guys. Fast forward, they get a new body, which they have a 2018 Toyota this year, uh, and some tweaks to the car, and they get a lot better. I think, hands down, they have a better downforce slash aero package than any manufacturer does right now. So it's swayed in that direction. But it's up to the teams and the manufacturers to try and get that better. Uh, also, he talked, touched on a little bit of interesting news about how manufacturers have, have sort of become where you gain your, uh, you know, gain your advantage. He goes, you go back six years, and a lot of the Chevrolet teams won a lot of races. I think it, had, it was more to do because they had better teams than what the manufacturers did. The teams had the strength then. Now I think the manufacturers have, has the strength, and it's a huge, huge advantage for those guys, end quote. That's from Chad Knauss. Interesting comments from Knauss. I think he hit the nail on the head. I think with the rules, you can't really do a whole lot to these race cars. You kind of got what you got. And right now, Toyota is uh, the team with the advantage. What were your thoughts on, on Knauss and, K- and Kozlowski's comments? I think both of them are spot on. I mean, Brad Kozlowski's team at – uh, performed flawlessly at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And they weren't close to Kyle Busch or Martin Truex Jr. I mean, the only person that led a lap other than those two was Kyle Larson, and he led a lap. Not even close. Um, you look at it, Chevy's got a chance to make it up big next year because the SS is going away. They're presenting the Camaro as a new car for Chevy. Toyota came up with a new body for 2018. We'll see what Chevy puts out for the Camaro in 2018. Um, Ford has been running forever with the Fusion. I mean, they haven't changed it. It's the same body, the same nose, the same everything. I mean, they are running with a seven, eight-year-old body on that car. And if you give teams a chance to change their body, change what they're doing, put new templates in for each year, and you know the, the difference, I mean, one of the differences is, I mean, Ford started to play the game by getting better team, more teams in and getting better teams in with Stu, adding Stuart Haas Racing. Chevy's always been loaded with Hendrick and Childress, and Ganassi has stepped up their game this year. Toyota, everything is done by TRD. Joe Gibbs doesn't design the bodies. Joe Gibbs doesn't build the engines. TRD does it all. It's a matter of how much the manufacturer wants it. And Toyota, everything you look at Toyota's ever gotten involved in, Toyota's always wanted to dominate. And it's part of the reason they got out of Formula One, because they didn't do so well there. And they were in IndyCar for a little bit, and they didn't do so well there. But you look at Honda... I mean, every one of the Japanese manufacturers who's come into a series, Honda went into IndyCar and just lit the place up because Honda wants to be better than Chevrolet. And they think if Honda beats Chevy, they're going to sell more Hondas on Monday and Tuesday. Same thing with Toyota when it comes to NASCAR. Win on Sunday, sell on Monday. And you look, Toyota's been selling a lot of cars. You drive down the street, there's a heck of a lot of Toyotas you pass. I think Toyota has put their money where their mouth is. And they've done it as an entire manufacturer, and the teams are part of the manufacturer process. I think when it comes to the Ford camp, 
if you look in the past, Ford has let Roush and um, back in the day, Robert Yates help instead of Ford saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to go in the wind tunnel. We're going to put our engineers behind it. We're going to build this car. It's going to kick everybody's ass. And it hasn't happened in a long time. And it's going to get to the point where how much manufacturers want to spend. And that's why Dodge got out of the game years ago, because it was costing them so darn much money to come up with new ways to make the Charger and the Challenger, making them um, relevant on the racetrack. And it used to be how good a team you were. Now it's the manufacturer. I mean, the manufacturer is going to determine how good you are. How good of a team you are determines if you have a shot at getting one here and there. Yeah, I, and I think it was very interesting because I think when you think about what this year has been, and, and there were some great stats Lee Spencer had in that article, and I think one of them was Cabo said eight poles, all of them in the last 12 races, and, and it just shows you the speed they really had, especially lately. Uh, they just have been dominant, and the 78's been really dominant all year long, but really uh, Toyota in, in the 18 and the 11, and, the, and these guys have really stepped up their game here in the last – two or three months, um, you know, it just makes you wonder what can be done in season. You know, are these changes that we saw, uh, you know, other than and maybe finding a, a, a horsepower, an extra, you know, horsepower or two in the engine, what can be done in season to change these things up? What can be done in season to where if there's a team absolutely dominating, a manufacturer absolutely dominating, can something be done in season? for these manufacturers or these teams that say, Hey, we found something, you know, the way I took that article was no, there can't be anything that, uh, that change that could be changed in the middle of the season. So that's very interesting to me because I think we need to see that in this sport. We need to see some parity. We need to see some, you know, where uh, two months Ford might dominate and then two months Chevrolet team might dominate. And then, you know, uh, or a Hendrick team might dominate or a Gibbs team might dominate another month. I think that would help the sport, but right now it looks like there's not much you can do and you just have to wait till 2018 when these teams get new bodies and figure stuff out for this to change. One of the things that I think of when it comes to the way this season's gone with Toyota getting the new body and everything, actually more of a new nose in the body, but the nose made a big difference because it's aerodynamically better. I think what they went to NASCAR with when it came to, uh, preseason to say this is what we want to run i think they actually went to nascar with kind of a rough draft where they knew where the edges of the tolerances were and they went with here's your generic this is what we're going to do and they built in the wiggle room when they laid the front end nose to nascar to say this is what we're going to put on the toyota and I think the teams have been able to figure out the adjustments. Uh, Toyota Racing Development has helped them find the adjustments. But I think they presented like a rough draft that made the specs, and then they had wiggle room to play with to make it even better. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that Toyota knows exactly what they're doing. You know, you talk about them being absolutely in on everything they do. You know, think about the NASCAR ranks. We talk about uh, Toyota absolutely dominating the Cup Series. They've dominated the, the Xfinity Series. And I've always thought that – and I would love to get his take on this. I've always thought his comments stemmed, his anger – I wouldn't say anger, but his annoyance with this Toyota dominance stems from him shutting his Truck Series team down. Because in the Truck Series, they – Cobbish Motorsports 
dominates. Yeah, GMS runs very well, and Brad Kozlowski's teams run runs very well. But for the most part, there's a Toyota up front every week. Christopher Bell has been dominant this year. He's won, what, six races? Last year, it was William Byron in that same truck. They've come out, and they spent a lot of money in the truck series, a lot of money in the Xfinity series. And when you look at driver development, they've spent a ton of money in that area, something Ford and Chevrolet have not done. Uh, you know, whether it's Christopher Bell, Kyle Benjamin, they had Todd Gilliland in the truck this week, Harrison Burton, Maya Schneider. The list goes on and on. William Byron last year, uh, Kyle Larson a bunch of years ago. The list goes on and on about all these drivers. Bubba Wallace was a Toyota guy for a while. All these guys who are very good up-and-coming talent that they're spending a lot of money on that Ford and Chevrolet have not done. So that's where I think the everything stems from is that it's not just the Cup Series. that They've had a couple of cars in a Cup Series come out and run really, really good, but they haven't been so good in Xfinity, haven't been so good in Cup and Trucks, haven't been so good in K&N East and West. I mean, Todd Gilliland and their own and Toyota stuff winning both the K&N East and West Series championships. I mean, it just shows you the dominance that they have in NASCAR right now, and I think that's where everything comes from. Without a doubt. I mean, Toyota has invested in all ranks, starting down at Keith Coons in the Midget Series. And USAC Midgets, that's where Kyle Larson got his start with Toyota, running for Keith Coons. Um, they've gone through, I mean, the ARCA Series. The Toyota folks have invested heavily in Venturini Motorsports. Um, you see it at the Canon East. You see it in um, the truck Xfinity and Cup level. I mean, Toyota is dominating everything it comes when there's four wheels and a body on it. And sometimes even when there's four wheels and they're open when the smaller ranks, but I mean, they've gone the route of we're going to do everything we can to dominate and we're going to make them chase us instead of us chasing them. And I think part of that was whenever Toyota first came into the sport, they trusted the Michael Waltrip racing to be their flagship and to have them sort of help build them along. And they realized that was a big mistake. Then they got Joe Gibbs in their hands, and Joe Gibbs was really good with themselves when it came to the Chevy stuff, but whenever Toyota and Joe Gibbs combined heads, Toyota just took off, and it's been no looking back since, and they've been doing it with less teams than anybody else. That's the real interesting part is, is less and more. I mean, they got six really strong race teams with two with Furniture Row and four with Joe Gibbs Racing. Next year, they're going to have five because Furniture Row is losing a team. Um, my question to you is, and I guess when you look at this from afar, you know, there's a lot of rumors out there. Dodge was talking about coming back. Honda or Kia might be coming in soon. A lot of rumors. And we've heard, I've heard Honda and Nissan for 10, 15 years. Um, and nothing's materialized. And I think it's really hard for a manufacturer to come into this sport nowadays. You got to spend a ton of money. You got to find an engine builder, which is part of the deal. Um, and that even costs even more money. But is there a manufacturer you see that can come into this sport? And would that really help this as far as maybe instead of one team, dom- you know, one manufacturer dominating, dominating, you see two at least running with each other. Uh, is three just not enough manufacturers to, to, to have some parity here? Do we need some more manufacturers for parity? I don't know. I, I can't say it's one way or the other. I mean, we thought everything was came back in with Ravenham. And it was okay for a couple of years, and then they kept trying to grow and kept trying to grow. 
and it fell apart more and more. And Toyota has done it a whole different way, worked for everything and led everything, and they've been the what makes it go. And it just, I don't know who could come in. Maybe Mercedes, because they've dominated in F1. Whenever they came into IndyCar, when Roger Penske brought them in, they were uh, lights out. Maybe Nissan, you see how Acura does in the IMSA, IMSA series. And, um, but those are the only two I could see coming in and making a difference. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, you just have to wonder if there's anything that could sort of, to, to, for lack of a better term, to stop Toyota. It's going to be very interesting to see how that goes here in the coming years. And, and if, you know, if it'll get worse, I think we need to open up the rule book. I think that's definitely something that uh, NASCAR has, they've tightened the rule book, if anything, here in recent years. And I think it's a, it's a bad move. 917-889-8280. He'll talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. Uh, interesting little note this week. We talk about teams, how they've started up and how hard it is to start up in NASCAR. Um, in Starcom Racing, uh, a team that is owned by Starcom Fiber owners, uh, Derek Cope was going to be the driver. Double zero was this was the number. The sponsor was Starcom Fiber, like I mentioned. They were initially entered to race at Dover this weekend. Then they withdrew. Um, and I know if you go to Jayski, you don't see this on the entry list, but I have a source that tells me that. The 83 team of BK Racing will be down this weekend to make it 40 cars at Dover. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, Starcom withdrew their entry because they weren't sure if they could make the race. But, you know, let's talk about this for a second. And, and I know it's, it's sort of you look at Starcom. I don't think anybody's really expecting a whole lot from this team. They're a, I'm sure they got one or two chassis from maybe Jay Robinson Racing or Premium Motorsports. They bought it or Tommy Baldwin Racing, what was left of that. Um, you know, and they, you've got Derek Cope, who's 57 years old, hasn't had a, a, a you know, a top 10 run in, in over two decades in NAS and a cup series. So I don't think anybody's expecting a whole lot from them, but it's interesting to me because this is a team that's sponsorship run, run by a sponsor. Is this the only way you can get into this sport? And do you expect, what do you expect from Starcom? Do you see this team? you know, being where they are for, you know, basically on the bottom of, of the of the playing field here for a little while, for about five years, what do you think their future holds? And is this the only way we see a team come through NASCAR's ranks? I don't think, I mean, one of the things that they said, the reason they withdrew is they didn't have the personnel and stuff together. I mean, they probably were going to have to run a pit crew. Like you said, they probably bought a couple chassis from one of the back marker teams to be able to try to sit in the back of the field and make some laps and make themselves worthwhile. But I don't think there's a team that's going to come into the sport. And you look, it took Furniture Row almost 10 years and three different drivers to make themselves relevant. I mean, they went through Kenny Wallace, Regan Smith, and it took Kurt Busch to help them become relevant. And then, Martin Truex Jr. took it to a new level. Um, I don't see a team coming through to do that. I mean, the one of the group that I see that would have had a chance was Tommy Baldwin Racing. Tommy Baldwin found a way to do it right. He put, and he knew what races he could run well in, and he busted his butt in those races. And there were races where he wasn't going to go well. And he is 
going to ride in the back and get whatever 35th place good. But whenever he's going to have the chance, he's going to run 20th or run 15th. I don't see any teams of the group trying that can do that. I mean, front row motorsports tries hard. You've got David Reagan. You've got, um, Landon Castle there. Landon Castle, thank you. And they're 20th place at best. And Front Row Motorsports been around for five, six years now. Um, BK Racing is a crap storm. Um, Levine Family Racing, they're going to try their best next year to make a go at it because they're gonna, they got Casey Kane in the seat and they think they can go better than they are. I don't know if they're going to, but they're going to try. Um, the 13 of Guy, uh, the Jermaine racing with Geico and Ty Dillon in there. The reason they've improved this year isn't because the team's gotten better. It's because Richard Childress has given them better stuff because he wants his grandson to drive quality, the same stuff he would have driven at RCR. JTG Doherty, they have sponsorship out the wazoo. They are one of the best funded teams. And you never see a sponsorship issue on JTG Doherty on the 37 or the 47, but their 20th place car. So unless you have one of the mega teams, it's tough to grow into this sport. I mean, JT Jordy's been around, what, 10 years now? And they're a 20th well, place car. And if you include their Xfinity series, they've been around a lot longer than that. I mean, they won, they ran the Xfinity series in the early 90s. So they've been around a long, long time, JTG Daugherty Racing. And, you know, Brad Daugherty brought into that team. And that really put them to a new level. Uh, like you said, they got the two cars this year with Kirk, Chris Buescher, who's done a very good job, by the way, Chris Buescher. Got off to a rough start. That team, that second team, I don't think was absolutely ready. I mean, I remember when they went to Daytona this year for the uh, – they were – because of his win at Pocono, they were locked into the Bud Shootout, whatever you want to call the Bud Shootout now, Bush Clash, Spread Unlimited, whatever it's called, um, Advanced Auto Parts Clash. He was locked into that race, and they couldn't compete. And for the first four or five races of this season, they were in bad shape. They've come around. They've run very, very well. Uh, Trent Owens, I thought, was a tremendous hire by that team. I think he's a great crew chief. Um, I think it was a big mistake by Richard Petty Motorsports to let him go. I think he's an unbelievable crew chief and a, and a good uh, match for Chris Buescher. And they signed Buescher to a multi-year extension, so they're pleased where they are. But you're absolutely right. You know, they're, I think Buescher right now is 25th in the standings. Um, that's not good. You know, you talk about Front Row Motorsports. You know, Front Row Motorsports has been in for 10 years now. When they first got into NASCAR, I think it was like 2007 to 2008, and Kevin LePage was running for him. And Kevin LePage made, attempted every single race of that season and made two of them. They missed 34 races. He missed 34 races from motorsports. Talk about going out there and, and really beating your head against the wall. And Front Row Motorsports has done it for a long time. Bob Jenkins is a very loyal owner. But they have taken steps in the right direction. They are a lot closer today being winners than they were three years ago, much closer than where they were seven years ago. Um, but it's still, they're still a long way away. This year, they've got a lot of sponsorship on their cars. Camping World and Marcus Limonis on a 38 car will be sponsoring 24 races on that 38 car this year, which is huge for that team. It's more sponsorship than they've ever had ever. You know, they got Love's Travel Stops on a 34. Uh, they also got CSX Transportation on a 34. Um, so they got a lot of sponsorship over there, a lot more than they've had in previous years. And that's a good thing. You know, you want the money to be able to go out and get the next level drivers. I think that's why you're going to see Michael McDowell in a car this uh, next year for them. Because McDowell's proven that he can run up front with decent equipment. He's done it this year. He's run better this year. And you want to take the next step up. 
Is he better than Landon Castle? We're about to find out. Um, but he's proven himself to be better this year in similar equipment. So it's interesting. It, you know, how can you build yourself? Um, you know, you talk about furniture racing. They were, you're right. They had, you know, Joni Michek was there. Kenny Wallace was there. They were a struggling race team, Regan Smith. Um, and then they got to the Alliance. And I, that's why I admire a team like Front Row Motorsports, because they don't have an alliance. They have a, a little bit of an alliance with Rash Fenner Racing, but they hang their own bodies. And that's unheard of almost nowadays if you're a small team. Um, you know, Richard Petty Motorsports still does that. There's talk they were going to go to Chevrolet. Now there's talk they're going to stick with Ford because they don't have the sponsors to go back to Chevy. So that team's in disarray. But the point being, it's, a, it's not what it used to be. It's not, you know, Morgan McClure Motorsports coming here and getting Kodak and hiring Rick Wilson and running pretty competitive. And then the next move they needed to make to be a real good team was hire a great driver, which they found in Ernie Irvin. And then they became a very good team winning a couple of Daytona 500s with Sterling Marlin. I mean, that was all in a decade. You know, and when you think about how far that team came in a decade and how far from motorsports has come in a decade, it's completely different. But we didn't have multi-car operations back then like we do today. So it's a completely different sport. And I think that's the biggest thing, John, is these big teams have such a stranglehold. They build the engines. They build most of the chassis. They have such a stranglehold over the smaller guys that's virtually impossible to build themselves up into a powerhouse race team. And that's where Toyota had everybody be because they have their small group of five going forward next year, six this year, where Toyota takes care of most everything. And if you're at a Ford team, you're dependent on Roush Yates for your engines. And a lot of the other Ford teams, other than Stuart Haas or Penske, I mean, any other Ford team depends on Roush Fenway. I mean, Richard Petty Motorsports depends on Roush Fenway for stuff. I mean, Nassie gets on Rick Hendrick for engines. Uh, Childress gives bodies, engines to the 37, 47, 13, 95, um, it just you're dependent on the big teams if you're a little one, and until like if Chevy just come in and said, okay, we're going to build the engines, we're going to take this thing over, you might see a little team that's a Chevy team be able to ch- have a chance at growing, instead of you're hoping to get the same stuff that everybody gets at Childress, but you're not going to be able to run with them because they know everything, and they get your information. Right, and that's the thing. I think it's just a matter of. These big teams have such a stranglehold. Even Xfinity, you know, you used to be able to see a team, like we talked about earlier, build yourself up in the NASCAR Xfinity series. You can't do that nowadays because of the fact that these big teams have such a stranglehold over it. And I think that's a big problem going forward. You talk about it all the time, John. These owners are getting old. They're not getting any younger. Um, you know, Childress is in his 70s. Roger Penske's in his 80s. Richard Petty's in his 80s. The list goes on and on and on. Rick Hendrick's an old man. Jack Rash is an old man. Um, you know, Chip Ganassi is still, still pretty good. You know, where are these next group of owners coming from? You know, and those guys, you know, the Hendrick of the world, the Jack Rashes of the world, the Richard Childress of the world, Roger Penske. Think about Roger Penske, Jack Rash, and Richard Childress. Where do they uh, get their money from? They're all racers. They're absolute racers. Yes, they've had a lot of great different business ventures outside of racing, but ultimately racing is what they made their money in. 
especially Childress and Roush. Um, and I don't think we're going to see that anymore. You know, Bob Jenkins is a, a, a perfect example of a guy who he's a businessman, loves racing, and he's a racer at heart. But he, you know, owns a lot of franchises around uh, the East Coast of KFC and Taco Bell, and that's how he got his money and bought into race to NASCAR. Um, he's, you know, and, and his team still runs, like you said, a good day for them is 20th. So these big time racers, these racers are gone now. Uh, it's it, you're a long time. You're a long ways away from Daryl Waltrip starting his own race team after leaving a, a major conglomerate of a race team. You're a long way from that. You're a long way from Bill Elliott starting up the family team again. And Ricky Rudd running, running uh, his own race team. You're such a long way from that. I mean, Tony Stewart, everybody called him his owner driver and he was, but he was only a part owner without Gene Haas's money. That deal doesn't happen. It just shows you the amount of money it takes right now to run a cup series team. And like we've talked about it is the investors, I mean, Merstein in with Richard Petty Motorsports. He's an investment banker. Um, he owns a boatload of New York City taxis. So he's got his money somewhere else. And his main focus is going to be somewhere else. He's investing in this, but it, if the dollar signs aren't matching up, he may pull himself out. Rob Kaufman, he's investment. He was a uh, venture capitalist. And whenever things started looking south at Michael Waltrip Racing, he got the hell out and went Chip Ganassi. Um. Roger Penske made his billions elsewhere. He always was a racer, but he also was a smart businessman elsewhere. But at the end of the day, Roger Penske's still on top of the pit box for Helio Castroneves making the calls for him um, for the IndyCar series. And he's always involved in the NASCAR stuff. <clears throat> Roger Penske built his businesses elsewhere. Gene Haas made his, <coughs> excuse me, his billions with the CNC machines. And he's the money behind it. But when Gene Haas was Haas CNC racing and Joe Custer was running the operation and Gene Haas was, had his tax issues and went to the big house. But before Tony Stewart got in the door, a 25th place finish was a great day for Haas CNC racing. But you can have all the money in the world. If you don't have a racer helping run the operation, you're hosed. And Richard Childress has investors putting the money up to Richard Childress Racing. Richard Childress started off, I mean, you remember he used to mortgage the house to get a tire, get the tires for his race car each week. And hopefully he won enough money to be able to pay the mortgage off so he could keep racing the next week. I mean, that's how Richard Childress got started. Now, he has his winery, he has all the other stuff, but still he has investment bankers supporting him that are the probably a majority owner of Richard Childress Racing. And we don't know where the next group's going to come from. And you've got John Henry, who owns the Red Sox and the soccer club in in Manchester, um, or he owns one of the soccer clubs in Europe. But he's a venture capitalist. And he bought a stake into Roush Fenway Racing, and they haven't done crap since John Henry got involved. And you look, Roush Fenway Racing used to be on top. They had five cars in the championship chase one year. Now, Kenseth left. Carl Edwards left. Um, Biffle got pushed away. Mark Martin left. And Jamie McMurray left. 
Kurt Busch left. Well, Kurt Busch was kind of stupid and got himself run out. But, I mean, everybody who was anybody at Roush Fenway left because they saw that there was no progress going forward. And until the manufacturers step up, and I think that's where Brad Keselowski started screaming about that we started talking about in the show. If Ford doesn't step up and do more, and Ford doesn't get more involved, and they and Ford has come out and said, yeah, we give you every bit of engineering we can possibly afford. But it's not as much as Toyota's getting. And that's one of the things that you always wonder. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's, it's an interesting time in this sport, no doubt about it. Uh, the charming system is something that has gotten a lot of play here recently. You know, I, I, I talked about it last week on the show. Bonnie Visser, um, since he's shutting the 77 team down, talked about how charters have not really done what the owners wanted it to do. Uh, they, they virtually mean nothing. You can get them whenever you want, really. Um, but an interesting little, I guess you can call it a, a side note, sidebar to Toyota, to the chartering system, excuse me, is the fact that these charters make money over the years. And a certain charter can, one charter can have much more monetary value than another charter. Um, basically, there's, before I get into the article I want to talk about, there's four different pools of money you get now in the cup series. You get the money, you get the money from the purse, you get the money from the TV deal, you get the money from running the race, and then you get the money from the charter. And the charter, based on where it finishes in owner points every year, gets a certain amount of money tied to it. And over an accumulation of two or three years, you get a lot of money for it. You know, if you own that that certain charter and it finishes high in points, you get that money, you get a certain amount of money tied to it. it it's complicated, but basically if you finish on higher and owner points uh, with your charter, you get more money the following year. Well, Go Fast Racing leased their charter to the Wood Brothers before the year was out. Now, the Wood Brothers will probably buy a charter next year. I'm sure we're going to hear that come out in the coming weeks or in the off season. Um and they're going to get that charter back at the end of the year. So they can have that charter. And their charter that they are running with, we'll go back to Richard Petty Motorsports. They're running on a charter that Richard Petty Motorsports has. Um, but they're going to get their own charter that was leased to the Wood Brothers back this year. And they're going to make a lot more money. Up, it could be up to a million dollars if they win the championship. A very little interesting note there, John, when it comes to these charters, that I think a lot of people, you know, Dustin Long wrote it on last week, on NBCSports.com, but a very little side note to the charters. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's going to work this year for Go Fast Racing because of uh, leasing the charter to the Wood Brothers. But I don't know of any charters that are sitting out there that are going to be leased to anybody worthwhile because everybody who's worthwhile is just going to buy up the charter. I mean, that's the only one that was leased that did any good. I mean, Furniture Row bought a charter for the 77 car. They didn't lease it. They bought one because they were actually hoping Eric Jones would be stuck there for a couple more years. They thought Gibbs would re-sign Kenseth, and Eric Jones would do great with the 77 for a few years. That didn't happen. Eric Jones got called back to the big shop at Joe Gibbs Racing, and the 77 is going to probably shut down. Um, The thing is with those charters, though, it's to the point now I mean, you see how many, I mean, we're getting to the point where it's back to field fillers again. 
I mean, the fact that the Derek Cope machine with the double zero was going to try to make the show and they just put the team together three days earlier. It's like, okay, we're going cup racing on Sunday. No, doesn't work that way. Um, it's just, you'll see Derek Cope go out 20 laps in with a vibration or brake issues, probably because they don't have enough tires to run the race or anything yet. That's one of the things that you look at. I think when it comes to the charter system, and I've joked about this for a while, you, me, and Lee in Virginia can pull five grand together and buy a charter because that's about what it's coming to. Nobody else wants them. I mean, what's Richard Petty Motorsports going to do with their second charter next year? They're barely fighting to keep the 43 on the ground. And they've got another charter coming back. Who are they going to lease it to? Who are they going to sell it to? I mean, there's nothing there that's worthwhile. Plus that 43 charter or the 44 charter that they had has dropped a lot in value because go fast has been running it. And they're 33rd in points. I mean, Matt DiBenedetto is a good little driver. He's working hard. He's doing everything he can with they have, but they don't have any engineering support. Archie D St. Pierre said, I mean, Archie St. Pierre said, Hey, we don't have any engineering support. Matt does the best he can with what we give him, And Gene need does the best he has with best he can with what he's got. But we're not even close to being a top 20 car on a right on a mile and a half or anything where it's aero dependent. And who's going to buy the 44 charter? Who's going to lease it? What's out there for it? I mean, front row racing's getting a charter back because the 72 has got the third front row motorsports charter. I mean, the 72 has been nothing to write home about. So who are going to, who's, who wants these charters? What good are they? They're probably as good as the toilet paper you and me wipe with. That's where they're at these days. Yeah, there may be a pool of money associated with it, and Go Fast Racing may get a million dollars next year out of that charter that they lease to the Wood Brothers, but nobody of a team that's worthwhile is going to go that route again after seeing this. They're just going to buy a charter and say, okay, we're done with you. Yeah, and you can only lease – the funny part is you can only lease a charter once every – I think there's conflicting reports. I read this week – once every five years. I thought when they initially announced it, it was once every three years. Um, but either way, you can only lease your charter once every uh, bunch of years. So that charter that he has, he's either going to have to sell it or use it. Um, same thing with Richard Petty Motorsports. You're either going to have to sell that charter or use it. Um, now you can, obviously, if you have two charters, like Richard Petty Motorsports is going to have next year, and three charters like Front Row Motorsports is going to have next year, you can lease one of the other ones out and run with the charter you leased last year. And I think you're going to see some teams do that. Um, and now their money will go down because, like you said, the 72 is lower in owner points than the 38. The 32 is much lower in owner points than the 43. But you got to do what you got to do if you're going to make more money. Even if it's $200,000, it works out for you. Um, and that's a lot of money to these teams. You know, so it's an interesting little uh, – detail about the charter that I think a lot of people didn't know about. And I think it's very interesting. Um, well, Archie, charters- St. Pierre, Archie St. Pierre said that the budget for go fast racing for the season for 2017 is about $5 million. They get a million bucks next year out of leasing that charter to the Wood brothers. That's a 20% increase in your budget. You could do a heck of a lot more with 20% than you had before. I mean, $6 million is a hell of a lot more than $5 million. You can buy a few more people. You can buy a few more parts. You can buy a couple more chassis. 
you can lease better engines. That could change the way the team goes just because they leased out the charter to a good team this year. But I don't see a good team doing that ever again. No, unless we get a major, major change in the way we operate things. I think um, the RTA tried to create something here with this chartering system that was, uh, you know, giving teams a little bit more back from their, uh, from their investment. And I think it, there's conflicting ideas as far as what's good for the sport. I think the RTA needs to look at this charting system, though, and say, listen, uh, at the end of this year, you know, I think they, they have a, a deal where they, you know, nine years, they can re- come back and talk about it. I think they need to come back after two or three years and say, listen, this isn't working. It's not what we thought it was. Uh, we need to do something different because we're losing owners left and right here. The sport's uh, you know, we want to see the sport prosper in five, 10 years. And right now we're not going to get anything for it. So again, I think you just need to change the way we need to get more money into this sport somehow. Um, it's very interesting. And I think it's something that with the whole monster deal, John, and we'll talk about it now, you know, monster him and Hall on here about renewing their contract. Uh, they have until December to decide whether or not they will renew the cup sponsorship. It was a two-year deal. It was a, it was a multi-year deal with an option after two years to renew. Um, and they have to decide by December to renew after next season or not. And they asked for an extension on that. Um, and no worry if NASCAR will grant that extension. But the way I look at it is there's not much <laughs> – you know, not much leverage that NASCAR has because I don't think there's too many people banging the door down right now to be in it. So they're going to, they might give Monster as much time as they need. And I think Monster knows that they want to try and see as much, you know, get as much bang for their buck as they possibly can. But let's talk about Monster's first, you know, however many months, seven months in NASCAR. You know, we, we heard a, a completely, you know, when they came in, they said they're going to do a completely different sport we're going to see a a different side of nascar a much more wilder side of nascar i hate to say this john but not much has changed from last year as far as that side of the sport you know i just don't see it i just don't see any you know monsters big huge impact that they were talking about having i haven't really i haven't been to a track this year so i can't tell what their on-site promotion is the only thing i've seen a difference between monster and sprint is there aren't any monster commercials on television compared to all the sprint commercials we would see. And instead of the trophy girl in a fire suit, the monster girls look like there could be a pole in their future. I mean, they're scantily clad compared to the fire suit that the uh, sprint girls were wearing. Those are the only two differences I've seen. And you've even seen some things where drivers will turned their uniforms inside out because they're sponsored by Pepsi or they're sponsored by five hour energy, or they're sponsored by Coke or a beer company, but they don't want to be associated with monster whenever they don't have to be. So they've done ways. It's sort of like Tom Brady. He's an under armor guy. The NFL is a Nike team or Nike league. When Tom Brady does press conferences, he turns his Jersey inside out because he's, an Under Armour guy. He doesn't want to be out there promoting Nike while he's on camera. I think Monster is 
sort of holding out because there's the rumor that Coca-Cola is looking at uh, upping their stake in Monster Energy. I also think Monster is looking at it saying, uh, I don't know what kind of return on investment we're getting. I mean, we're paying 20 million bucks a year to be the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, but the ratings are down. Attendance is down. Um, you're seeing all kind of controversy throughout the year. You're seeing penalties. You're seeing illegal cars. You're seeing somebody win a race and then the race is encumbered. So they didn't really win the race. Monster is sort of saying, what did we get ourselves into here? And they also and they have to, and they also have to figure out whether they're going to pick up the option on Kurt Busch in the 41. And mm-hmm. also the uh, funny car that they have with John force racing in uh, NHRA. And well, I think Monster's the, playing a stalling game to figure out what Coke's going to do. And that's very interesting because I think that means the Kurt Busch deal could ride way later than I think a lot of people expected. Um, you know, and I do remember them, I think it was Charlotte, they had those monster trucks going up, jumping up and down during driver intros or something like that, or doing burnouts or something ridiculous. And I just don't think it was uh, embraced by the fan base too much that Monster Energy tried to do that. So, you know, it's an interesting, interesting deal here they got because what, you know, we, we introduced Monster this year and after next year, could they be gone? I think it's, it's pretty possible right now. You know, obviously they're not jumping for joy. They wouldn't be asking for the extension to decide whether or not they're going to be in the sport. Um, that's a little scary to me. And I think uh, hopefully we figure this stuff out, you know, hopefully that, um, you know, NASCAR is in a spot where, we, they can, you know, sell this sport to other people because right now I think it's very tough. Um, and we talk about the problems with this sport, and I think a lot of it's got to do with the rule book is way too tight, um, and it just makes for the competition to be uh, a lack of passing for sure. Real quick, John, before we got a minute, we got a minute or so left here. Um, let's talk about Dover quick. You know, final race of this playoffs round. Round one of the playoffs, uh, you know, we talked about it last Sunday, but just give me an idea of who you think is going to run strong here that might be on the cusp and your pick to win Sunday at Dover. I think Kurt Busch will run strong because he does run well at Dover, and he's one of those ones that if his back's against the wall, he may take somebody out to get in his, to get where he needs to go. I think Newman will be decent, but I don't know if he'll make I – mean, he's got too much ground to make up. Newman's almost in a win-and-you're-in scenario. I think the four that are gone at the end of this round are Austin Dillon, Casey Kane, Ryan Newman, and it'll probably be Kurt Busch, but I think he'll go down fighting. Yeah, I do too. And I think when you look at Rash Fenway's history and, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who's another guy who's on the edge as far as making it in, uh, Rash Fenway Racing runs really, really good at Dover historically. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was on the radio last week. He was on tonight and felt very good about his chances at Dover as far as running very competitive. We haven't seen Roush Fenner Racing run really, really good since probably, you know, right around mid-April, May. I would like, uh, at least on a track that is not a restrictor plate, I would like to see them go out and at the 17 team, if they can go out and run in the top 10 all day, I think it would be a very uh, positive step in the right direction for this team that they can, when the money is on the line, perform. Uh, We'll be back here again next week after Dover. It's probably going to be Monday after Dover here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.